So I was lucky enough growing up that I had awesome parents. And I not only had awesome parents, but I had great grandparents. I just was blessed with that. And I remember as I was growing up, uh, I had this special relationship with my granddad. He, he was just this quintessential cowboy that truly was like the American West. He was born in 1900. Uh, he came to Colorado from Missouri and Kansas area by stagecoach and then went into the Dolores Valley by way of the Galloping Goose. So that's how far he went back. And then he settled in the canyon that is now McPhee Reservoir. And in that canyon, he... Uh, he um, was a farmer. He was a uranium miner, a gold miner. And so growing up, man, I just thought he was really, really cool. I just thought he was just, because I wanted to be a cowboy. And his brother was actually the sheriff of Dodge City, uh, Kansas, after Wyatt Earp. So, you know, he's got like this, these cowboy roots. And man, I just, I, I went around, I slept in a holster. I mean, I just, I just wanted to be a cowboy so bad. And so as I grew up, though, uh, I, one thing that, that, that my granddad didn't, have is he, he didn't have a relationship with God. He, he wasn't a Christian. And so I, that broke my heart. At seven years old, I remember starting to pray for my grandfather that, that he would receive Christ as his personal Savior. And uh, my family would just pray for him. And then when we got an opportunity, you know, we would try to bring it up. But he was just such a rough character that, you know, you'd say, well, you know, Grandpa, don't you want to go to heaven someday? Don't you want to, you know, don't you want to know the Jesus that I know? And his response was like, well, I guess all my family's in hell. My friends are all in hell, so I guess that's where I need to go. You know, that was, that was really his response. And in that situation, you can get to a point where you just kind of almost give up hope. But one morning, I was asleep, and um, it was in the summer, and I was uh, like 17 or 18 years old. And uh, my mom comes in, and she wakes me up, and she goes, Tim, wake up, wake up. And I was like, well, what's going on? She goes, I just led your grandpa to the Lord on the way out to the house in the car, and he's crying, and just would you go out and give him a hug? And I was like, absolutely. Got up, I went out, you know, and this 88-year-old man is sitting there with tears in his eyes, and I'm hugging him thinking, I now am going to be able to see him again in heaven. I'm going to be able to see him throughout eternity. And it was just such this great feeling. But the truth is, is that we all have these prodigals in our life. That's what the Bible describes them as, as prodigals. That's what Jesus tells the story about in Luke chapter 15. But a prodigal, if you look at the definition, means recklessly extravagant, characterized by wasteful expenditure. So it's a person or an individual who decides to come out from under God's authority and become reckless and at the least just make really, really poor decisions. So they become extravagant and excessive in, in all areas of their life. They become reckless with decision-making and with spending, and, and they go down a, the wrong road. And I think all of us can probably picture somebody in our mind that we love that we would, might, might consider a prodigal. Or maybe we have all been prodigals at one time. I, I think we have. We've gone through seasons in our own life where we might have been a prodigal. But Jesus tells this story in the Bible, and I love the way Jesus teaches because he always illustrates what he's trying to say with a parable or a story. And he says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he, was, uh, he wasted all his money on wild living or reckless living. 
About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. Now understand, for a Hebrew to feed pigs, that was the lowest of the low, because they, they, they had nothing to do with swine. They believed that that was something that they, you didn't even want to touch, and yet he was willing uh, to do that. Uh, he persuaded the farmer. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being your, called your son. Please take me on as your hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill this uh, calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So in this story, we see someone that has decided to go against the will of God and the will of their family to live a life apart from God, embracing rebellion. And unfortunately, we all know someone that we love that has gone down or is currently going down this road. Or maybe you know uh, you are not following the will of God and you're making uh, decisions right now that are not wise and could lead to your own demise. Now, here's the thing. When somebody starts to, to go down that road, you want to rescue them, right? You want to do something for them. But what do we do as parents in those situations? What do we do when maybe as a husband or a wife, and we see our spouse to start to go down those roads. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It, it tears your heart out to see someone that you love start to make poor decisions. That child you raised or that person you grew up with or just loved dearly has left for what they believe may be greener pastures, but what you know is a life filled with heartache. What do you do? What do you do as a parent? What do you do as a husband and a wife? Or, or maybe you're a child and you see your parents starting to go down that road. I mean, you want to wring the person's neck, right? Don't you? You, you want to shake some sense into them. You want to evaluate, and then you start evaluating or do, doing self-evaluation of, of what we may have done wrong or, or how maybe we should have raised them different or what we should have done different in our marriage or, or maybe even what we should have done different as a sibling. And so we start analyzing the past and trying to figure out maybe if we should have just, if we have just turned left right here instead of right. And it, it becomes just this mind boggle that we can do on ourselves. As parents or loved ones of a prodigal, what, what can we learn from this story that Jesus shares with us? Well, I think there's several things. I think there's several things as someone that loves those people that are running that we need to remember. And one of those things is that the father, he was so successful. He was this great guy, and he believed in God, and he provided a good home. He loved his son with all his heart, and the prodigal still went astray. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that you can do everything right and that those that are closest to you may still choose a poor path? 
The father did not spend time blaming himself. It's amazing here. You never see him talk, think about, in scripture, it doesn't say that he thought about, you know, what did he do wrong or how did he fail? But he never spends time blaming himself for his mistakes that he might have made with his son. Instead, he looks forward. He never looks back, but he continues to look forward. You see, the truth is, is that your dad could be Jesus himself and you could still go astray. So if you're in that situation and you have a prodigal and you've been blaming yourself for a long time, stop. Now, could you have done things better? Sure, we all could. But you could have done things perfect and still things might have not turned out like you wanted them to. So he didn't blame himself. The second thing the father didn't do is he didn't try to control him. Oh, but we want to, right? We want to control the situation. We want to fix it so bad. And and as much as, as he loved him, he knew that he couldn't keep him from making a poor decision. And we've all been there. Like We've been with that person we've loved, and we've had those deep conversations, and we've said, don't go down this road. Don't make this choice. If you do this, these are the things that are going to happen. And it didn't matter how clear we were. It didn't matter how much we spoke the truth. The person just couldn't hear it. They couldn't see it. They were so deceived that you could say, the sky is blue, it's blue, just look at it. And they would say, no, it's not. The other thing that he didn't do is he didn't try to manipulate him in controlling him. See, that's the thing. A lot of times we do that with our kids or our spouse or sometimes our parents. We decide, you know what, they're not doing what we want them to do, so let's let's manipulate them or bargain with them to get them back on the right path. If you'll make this choice, then, you know, I'll pay for your car. Or if you go down this road, then, you know, I'll I'll pay for your school. Or if you do this, wife or spouse, I'll start doing this around the house. So so we start bargaining. We start trying to control them. But, but, But the prodigal's father never did that. Practice tough love. Now, we've all heard that term before, right? Tough love. But until you have a prodigal in your life, until you see them start going down the wrong road, you don't know how tough that love really is. It's hard. But the father holds to it. Then we see him never searching for his son to rescue him. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you have a prodigal that goes astray, don't, don't you want to go after him? Don't you want to rescue them? Don't you want to fix them? With everything in you, you want them to come back home. You want them to figure it out. You want them to not make the mistakes that you know they're fixing to make. You want to chase them with everything you have. But this father didn't do that. Because he understood that sometimes the sting of the situation is what brings them back home. Sometimes this is the only, only thing that will work in their life. The father knew that his son's journey had to be relinquished and that responsibility had to be given to God. You see, there are lessons that we learn that only God can teach us through our journey, through circumstances and loss and loneliness and hunger and pain. And when we read that scripture, we see that the prodigal came to that point 
He was willing to eat the, the food the pigs were eating. He was lonely. He was hurting. He, he had come to his rock bottom. And the father let him get there. Now, don't you think he wanted to rescue him? Don't you think that he wanted to try to control that situation? Don't you think he wanted to, to run in on a, on a white horse and take him home and get him cleaned up and give him a full meal? Yet he didn't. And the reason he didn't is because he understood that God was trying to teach him something. And sometimes the things, the lessons that we learn are the hardest ones, and we have to hit rock bottom. But as a parent or a spouse or a sibling, if we rescue a person before they hit rock bottom, we are just delaying their progress. We're trying to take the situation into our own hands, and we're not allowing them to learn the lesson for themselves. And the prodigal's father understood that. The other thing we see in this story is that the father never lost hope. Now, you might read that scripture and you go, well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that the father was never hopeless or never lost hope. or It, it doesn't say that. But, but here's how you know. Here's how you know that he never lost hope. Because the Bible says that he saw his son coming from a long ways away. Which means that he was looking for him. He got up every morning and he was looking for his son to come home. He was waiting for it expectantly. He knew that God was going to bring his son, his precious son, back to him. And when times hit where you lose your prodigal, and it seems like there is no hope, there's a demon of hopelessness that will come into your life. And he will steal your joy. And he will steal your happiness. And he will make you believe that they're a lost cause. But this father got up and he looked in the distance for his son. Never lose hope. As the father sees him coming from a distance... We see that he receives him. As ornery as he was, as poor a choices as he made, as ugly as the situation he was in, as dirty as he was, his father received. And the Bible says, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. He received him. Now, do you think that this father would have had the same attitude if his son would have come back rebellious and cocky and asking for more money? No, he saw that his son was broken. He saw that his son was repentant. He saw that his son realized the mistakes that he had made, and he saw that his son was back for real. And I love the response of the father. My son is back. Let's party. It goes along with this narrative, which I read in a book not too long ago that helped me through some situations that I'm facing right now. And the book says this. Imagine you 
and Lord Jesus and Lord Jesus are walking down the road together. For much of the way, the Lord's footprints go along steadily, consistently, rarely varying the pace. But your footprints are disorganized streams of zigzags, starts, stops, turnarounds, circles, departures, and turns. For much of the way, it seems to go like this. But gradually, your footprints come more in line with the Lord's, soon paralleling his consistently. You and Jesus are walking as true friends. This seems perfect. But then an interesting thing happens. Your footprints, which once etched the sand next to Jesus's, are now walking precisely in his steps. Inside his larger footprints are your smaller ones. You and Jesus are becoming one. This goes on for many miles, but you gradually notice another change. The footprints inside the large footprints seem to grow larger. Eventually, they disappear altogether. There's only one set of footprints. They've become one. This goes on for a long time, but then suddenly the second set of footprints are back. Zigzags all over the place. Stops, starts, gashes in the sand. A veritable mess of prints. This time it seems even worse. You're amazed and shocked, and then your dream ends. You pray, Lord, I understand the first scene was zigzags and fits. I was a new Christian, and I was just learning. But you walked on through the storm and helped me learn how to walk with you. And he spoke softly, that is correct. And when the smaller footprints were inside of yours, I was actually learning to walk in your footsteps. I followed you very closely. And Jesus answered, very good. You've understood everything so far. When the smaller footprints grew and filled in yours, I suppose that I was becoming like you in every way. And he beamed precisely. So Lord, was there a regression or something? The footprints separated and the seeming chaos was worse than the first. There's a pause as the Lord answers with a smile in his voice. You didn't know? That was when we danced. There's a time to dance. And in Jesus' name, our time is coming. I love this story. Because it illustrates that even though we may not be with our prodigal, Jesus is. They are on a journey together, and we can trust him with our prodigals. I think that's one of the hardest parts, right? Not knowing. Not knowing if they're warm, not knowing if they're fed, not not knowing if they're making good choices, not knowing if they're making... (laughs) Stupid choices, not, just not knowing what's going on in their life, not knowing who they're interacting with. And, and I think we can drive ourselves crazy thinking about them. But when we look at it like this and we go, look, Lord, I, I know I'm not with them, but I trust that you are. And I trust that we're going to dance again someday. Now let's say you're a prodigal. That's a hard thing to admit. But let's say you are in a life right now of rebellion and you're making poor choices and you may even be here today because you want to turn your life around. What do you do? Five things. So simple. You ready? The first thing you have to do is tell those that you've hurt you're sorry. You're sorry. That will go so far, but not as far as the next step when you say, I was wrong. 
we see that kind of repentant attitude in the prodigal when he comes back to his, his, his dad. I mean, he's so repentant that he's willing to just be a slave if his, if his father will hire him. So, so, man, when you say you're sorry, that's powerful. But when you say you're wrong, that's even more powerful. But what's even more powerful that, than that is when you take responsibility for what you've done. You just say, I was wrong and I own it. And you stop trying to blame everybody else around you. Prodigals are really good at blaming. They want to blame you. They want to blame their, their, their spouse. They want to blame their father. They want to blame their upbringing. They want to blame their job situation. Just own it. Own it. You will blow the people in your life away that love you if you'll just take responsibility. Then give the person that you heard a plan on how you're going to get better. Hey, I own it. I'm sorry I was so wrong. And these are the steps that I'm taking in my life so I don't go down that road again. And then work those steps. When you work the plan, that is the quickest way to rebuild trust with those that you've hurt. But you know what? We've all been there. We've all been prodigals. We've all made poor choices. We've all hurt people. And we all need to take the steps that we need to to get back in the good graces of those that we love. But there's some things that we need to cling to in those dark times. Some things that we need to cling to when we feel like the ones that we loved are running. And they're running so far away from you and God and you don't know what to do. And these are, what, these are the things we need to cling to. First of all, God sees. God sees. He sees our prodigal and he sees our tears. He sees the nights that you spend awake crying. He sees when you're bawling your eyes out in the car before you get to work. He sees your tears. In Jeremiah 31, 16, the Bible says, but now the Lord says, do not weep any longer for I will reward you. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. The enemy sometimes steals our kids. The enemy sometimes steals our spouse. And this scripture says that he's going to bring him back. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. He sees. And he not only sees, but he perseveres. He continues his efforts long after human efforts have been exhausted. It's, it, it's, we may have lost hope. We may have come to a point in our life where we've stopped praying for the person because they've done so many things against us, and it's been so long. But God perseveres. He never gives up. I love the story in the Bible where Jesus has this family that he's so, so close to. He loves them so much, and it's, it's two sisters and a brother. It's, it's Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he loves this family. And, and there's a season where he has to go out, and he has to minister in a different city. And while he's gone, he hears that Lazarus has gotten sick. And so he knows that that's going on, but he continues to minister, and uh, then he hears that Lazarus has died. And so he makes his way back to Mary and Martha. And when he arrives in that town, Mary and Martha just come to him. And they're like, what, 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 where were you? I mean, did you not hear that he was sick? I mean, Mary and Martha knew that Jesus was the son of God. They understood that nobody was going to die in the house that he was staying in. And they're like, how could you allow this to happen? I mean, last, you loved him. I mean, our family is broken. We're, we're a mess. I mean, how could, how could this happen? 
And Jesus says, he's going to wake up. Now understand, this was four days after he died. Mary and Martha's response is that, you don't understand, the tomb already smells. He's been dead for four days. That was their response. And then all of a sudden they look, and the tombstone is rolled away, and there's Lazarus in his, uh, in his burial garment standing there. And what can we take from this? I know that Jesus loves us just as much as Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. He loves us just as much. And if he can raise somebody from the dead after four days for those that he loved, then he can bring back your prodigal. And it doesn't matter how long it's been. Doesn't matter how long that dream that you mourned for that person has been dead. It doesn't matter because God is worthy and he takes crucifixions and he turns them into resurrections and that's just the kind of God he is. He perseveres for you on your behalf. The other thing we see here that we need to cling to is that God holds hope for both you and your prodigal. He holds hope for you. There's a passage of scripture where Jeremiah is upset because his home has been destroyed and, and his country has been taken over by a rival nation and everything that he has and everything that he has known is lost. And so he writes this book and it's basically called the Book of Tears. It's him lamenting and we see in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 20, he says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. So, as bad as it gets, you're going to grieve it and you're going to remember it. That's just a part of it. You can't just forget it. You can't just bury it. You can't just hope that it goes away. There is a grieving process. And here's the thing, guys. Oh, and this is... Sometimes it's harder to grieve the person's hopes and dreams for them than it is to, dream, to, to, to grieve the person. You had a hopes and dreams for that, that kid. You had hopes and dreams for that, that marriage. You had hopes and dreams for that sibling. And, and to mourn the fact that, you know what, you may never get to have that grandchild. You may never get to have that special relationship with them like he once wanted it. And so you go through this grieving process and it's okay to grieve and it's okay to, to, to realize that maybe it's not gonna be what you want it to be. But, but then Jeremiah pauses and he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And this comes from a man who just didn't lose a prodigal. This comes from a man who lost his country. He lost everything. Yet he dared to hope. And 
then finally, what we've got to cling to and something we too often forget is that your prayers are the most powerful weapon in getting your prodigal back. You may be your prodigal's only hope because you're the only one still praying for him. And when you pray for them, you unlock the spiritual in a way that you can't even understand. And that prodigal needs those prayers. That prodigal needs you saying, God, I pray that you would give your angels charge over my loved one. I know they're making stupid choices and stupid mistakes, and I can't be there to protect them, so I ask you to be. And if we could just see, if we could just see a glimpse in the spiritual of what goes on when we pray those things, we would never stop praying. But the devil wants to make make you think that your prayers, they're not heard. You're not righteous enough of a person for God to hear your prayers. That's what the devil wants you to hear because he doesn't want you doing warfare on their behalf. It makes his fight easier if you stop praying. 1 John 5, 14 says, and we can be confident that he will listen to us whenever we ask him for anything in line with his will. And if we know he is listening when we make our requests, we can be sure that he will give us what we ask for. That's huge. But it's interesting when you look back over Scripture and you see these different men like David and Solomon and Jeremiah and Nehemiah, all men who experience great loss. When they pray, they pray with passion. They cry out to God because they understand I'm a child of God and when I cry out, my dad's going to listen. And so when you read their prayers, they always end, their sentences always end with exclamation marks. Jeremiah didn't say, oh, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. He says, the unfailing, of lo- of the, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. And he cries out to his heavenly father. He says, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. When was the last time you cried out for your prodigal? When was the last time you showed the Lord you were really serious about seeing them come back home? Or have you lost hope? 